Are you tired of using subpar fertilizer that don't give your crops the boost they need? Look no further than Irish Shite, the all-natural and sustainable solution for your farm. Made from the finest blend of Irish animal waste, Irish Shite provides essential nutrients for your crops to thrive. And it's not just good for your crops, it's also good for your skin. With Irish Shite, you'll look 10 years younger. So why settle for less? Choose Irish Shite. It's made right here in Ireland. And be sure to tell your friends and fellow farmers about the power of Irish manure. This message has been brought to you by the Irish Shite Association, the natural choice for a sustainable farm. Oh God, here we go again. Do you hear that sound, Will? Uh, well, I, I hear it, I hear it. That's the sound of all of our best laid plans <laughs> falling to... <laughs> Completely. <laughs> I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host Kevin, a writer of one and a bit films and three and a bit episodes of TV. And I'm joined once again by my co-host, a writer of one and a bit films and three and a bit episodes of TV, Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm good. How are you? Man, this is so... This is so much fun, but I don't understand. How come there's two of us? Well... I'll tell you what happened, and maybe Podbot, you can fill us in a bit as well. I haven't a clue what is happening. Well, because this episode is not the one we had planned, it's an alternate episode. This is basically like an alternate reality. Oh, Jesus. So I'm actually the Kevin from next week's episode, oh. which is what this episode was meant to be. Okay. So I'm the co-host from next week that's come back <laughs> to help you out this week as your hosting. I'm in hell. Oh, that does make sense. How does it? It doesn't make any sense at all. Shut up, Podbot. Yeah. Shut up, Podbot. You tell her, Kev. I will. Your existence is a paradox that defies the laws of nature. Who cares? But listen, I suppose we should introduce Will. I suppose we should. Will. Hello, Will. How, How are, are you? you? Hello. Which Kevin am I speaking to? You're you're speaking to me. You're speaking to him. Oh, Kevin. That Kevin. Of course. I'm great, that Kevin. And other Kevin. How's everything in the in the future? How's it all going? Shit! Oh no! That's why I've come back to try and salvage what's about to happen. Oh! But listen, listen I right. This ends now. I'm sending you back to your own no, no, time. No, no, Papa, don't. Oh my God, Pod! I'm so glad he's gone. <laughs> I'm allergic as it is. Oh, but there was no need to do that. She's ruthless. She's ruthless. Two of them. You must be joking. <laughs> Surviving Kevin, you may continue. Anyway, we're not doing the planned episode, which was one night in the big city, because we've got a guest lined up for that. And unfortunately, their schedule got a bit hectic and we've had to push that to next week. So because we had planned to do that episode, this one, we're sort of winging it. Oh my God. And um, I have called in a special guest <laughs> that I basically called up just a few hours ago and said, can you help us out? And they said, well, sure. I don't know who this, this person is. It's completely unknown to me. So I'm, I'm as uh, clueless as the listeners are. Next week, we'll do One Night in the Big City. But for this week, we're going to do whatever. Yeah. So I'm going to send them a message right now and say, oh, yes, sign in. This is exciting. Who do you think it is? I honestly think it might. I think it might. It might be Elvis. Oh. Um, <laughs> if it's not Elvis, I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's Pope, Pope Francis. That would be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> Any chance? I'll give you a clue. They have uh, been nominated for several IFTA awards. They've won two of them. Oh. They've written two films. One of them is a rom-com and the other one is a rough-and-tumble action okay, film. Okay, okay. They actually are one of the stalwarts of the Irish Screenwriters Group, where this podcast was essentially born. Ooh, okay. Here comes someone now. I'll get this. <laughs> Hello, Pierce. Welcome to the Podbees. Take a seat. Pierce! Right. Put on this headset. Talk to the Balances. 
two-time IFTA winner. Lads. Here's Lads. How are you getting on? This is a panic-filled pleasure. <laughs> I feel like the, you know, I feel like the leaving cert has, has suddenly been sprung upon me, to be honest with you. And all I can remember is <laughs> the stalactites hang down and stalagmites go up. And I didn't even do geography. So I, I'm really, I'm goosed. <laughs> That's fine, because I didn't even give you a proper introduction. Pierce Ryan wrote the Irish film Standby, which came out in, what year was that? I think 2014, maybe. There we go. And uh, recently you did Black 47, which won the IFTA. Uh, it did. Yeah, apparently. So, <laughs> Pierce, thanks a million. We, we're going to do sort of like bite-sized uh, scene topics yeah. for this one, rather than tackle a, a major one. Um, like the one we were planning to do, we're going to do um, a scattering of smaller ones and see if we can pull something out of our ass and make this work. And really, if it doesn't work, we're blaming you. <laughs> oh, poor Pierce. <laughs> Listen, it's fun. I can't believe Kevin Spacey pulled out at the last minute. Oh my God, that is definitely not making the cut. <laughs> okay, so because we don't have a topic this week, I thought that we would do these little scene topics that wouldn't fill a whole episode, but if we sort of spread them out, uh, maybe do two or three, then that would be something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned on Twitter that um, we were flying by the seat of our pants for this one. And one of our listeners, As Graham usual. McNeil... We, we don't even usual. have pants on. We don't <laughs> even have pants on because it's that late. That anyway, is the course for me. But Graham McNeil, who's a listener since day one, suggested unscripted scene. So best unscripted scene. And I thought, that's a good so, idea. Uh, uh, are, we, are we including documentary? Good question. In that, like, you know, obviously mm. that's... Well, no, maybe we uh, put places. a qualifier on it. I would say unscripted as in, it's a scene within a movie that is uh, off the cuff. But then, you know, right. you can blur that because most scenes that are considered to be off the cuff are actually rehearsal moments that have been written down, prepared, and they're rolling the camera specifically to capture something which has come up that wasn't in the production draft, but they've thought up of as they're in production. So I still consider that to be scripted, but, you okay. know... Some people blur the lines where they would uh, say that you're going to need a bigger boat. was an unscripted line. Yeah, yeah. Roy Scheider would okay. disagree with you on that. There's moments like off the top of my head, right? So, but I'm I want to, I need to qualify this a bit for myself. So there there are unscripted dialogue like lines, like for instance, um, in Midnight Cowboy, Dustin Hoffman's walking across. They couldn't afford to shut down, you know, the streets in New York, so That's they were just shooting on the street. Okay, so he's walking across the street. But it's not really a scene. Yeah, that's what that's my point. Is like that's a moment. These are like unscripted moments. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Up your shoes, son of a bitch. You don't talk me that way. Get out of here. Don't worry about that. Actually, that ain't a bad way to pick up insurance, you know. So when you're talking about unscripted unscripted scenes, there has to be some sort of script there to begin with. But unscripted moments are kind of um, easier to find, whereas completely unscripted scenes are difficult to find. Where's your head at, Pierce? Um, you know, Kez be another example, the caning scene in Kez. Oh. Um, so basically, they lined up these couple of, there's several kids and they're lined up in the headmaster's um, office or whatever, and they're in trouble. And apparently the way that they were told the scene was going to be shot was that the headmaster was going to like cane each one on the hand, but just before the cane was going to hit his hand, they would stop. Wow. And they wouldn't actually hit their hands. But then apparently Ken Loach realized maybe he could get, uh, you know, uh, an amazing performance out of the kids if he just actually beat them. So uh, he, he had the headmaster actually go through it and literally cane each one of them. And you see the shock and surprise in their faces. I'm like, there's one little lad at the end of the line who's absolutely just, you know, the tears in his eyes are, are kind of unreal. Apparently they were, uh, if I'm memory serves now, they were each paid an extra 50p for, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is true, 50p for allowing this to happen. But yeah, it definitely crossed some kind of line oh there. You never listen. Yours is the generation that never listens. Why do I know there's been no advance in discipline or decency or morals or manners? Why do I know it? Because I still have to use this to you boys every day. Why? Another scene in, in Kez, actually. Films are fun. Films are fun. <laughs> With the scene where, uh, what's his name, Billy, 
isn't it? That's the main character's name. When he finds Kez, basically, oh, like spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Here. When he finds Kez dead in the dustbin, he, I don't think he was told that it wasn't going to be like a real Kestrel that was there. That was going to be something like fate. But right. actually, they put a dead Kestrel in the bin. Oh. So his reaction when you see him taking it out is actually real. And he's really upset yeah. because apparently the the actor, was it David Bradley? I think it was. Um, he trained three Kestrels in the course of preparing for the movie. And he mm. thought it was one of the Kestrels he had trained. So he's really upset about that. But apparently, actually, it was another Kestrel that had died of just sort of natural circumstances or whatever. Being but again, that was... Yeah, oh Ken Loach getting these performances out of kids oh my God. by any means necessary. I came that Kestrel to death myself making movies. <laughs> <laughs> it went on a podcast. Oh my <laughs> God! Well, no, you know the thing about you're saying about it there, like you know you're bringing up animals, and like any scene with an animal is unscripted. Yes. So I'm thinking of like you know I just remember there's a moment in Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers where Viggo Morrison is like, he's been knocked into the river by orcs and he's presumed dead. And I think his horse comes down and like, lifts him off to, like she gets down and lays down beside him. I'm Mr. Ray. And that was like a really intense scene because they had to train the horse to do it, but the horse could have killed him. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Like the, if the horse was like a half a foot the wrong way, it would have crushed him. I know that's not technically they trained the horse, so I suppose it's scripted. Like they showed, they showed the horse the script of what you're supposed to do. <laughs> but, yes. Well, you know, following on from that as well as the cat in the opening of The Godfather, Ooh. which, uh, you know, Don Vito has. And apparently that was a, a, like a last second edition that I think Francis Ford Coppola just, this cat was wandering around the set and he just picked him up and just handed him to Marlon Brando. No way. And, and just started going. And it's so brilliant. Yeah. Just the way that he's kind of, you know, just playing with the cat and you kind of go, oh, there's, this. That's it's crap. just an interesting character thing. There's also that great unscripted scene in The Lady and the Tramp when they're um, eating the spaghetti and meatballs. Completely improvised. And yeah, it just, you know, <laughs> happened and they just happened to How be... do they get them to do that? It's amazing. How? How many plates of spaghetti do they go through? Because you see, the, you look, come on. It's just lucky, you know, you turn on the camera um, and magic happens. We've all seen video on Twitter of dogs just devouring <laughs> plates of spaghetti. I mean, there's no love there. It's just get it into you, for God's sake. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's extraordinary. there are great, like, uh, improvised moments. Mm. Um like the famous ones with Ray's last arc where Harrison Ford decides to shoot the guy rather than engage in the big choreographed sword fight that they were intending to do. Harrison Ford again in Star Wars where it's like, instead of saying, I love you, I love you too, mm-hmm. to Princess Leia, he just says, I know. Scripted, unscripted, improvised mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. But I think a great unscripted scene is the scene from when Harry met Sally, when Meg Ryan has her orgasm in the the restaurant. Mm. And that was not in the script. It was something that, while they were shooting, Meg Ryan thought it would be a fun moment to include. Are you okay? Oh. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, Oh. 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 So I guess this episode is not safe for work. Oh, yes! 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 Don't worry, children. The lady here is just really, really happy because she's winning on the scratch cards. Oh, yes! 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 She's winning loads. Yes! Yes! She's winning with the car and stuff. Yes! Yes! Christ, it's just a car, Meg. Oh, oh God. Oh. They decided, let's do it in a public place. Where could we do it? We could do it in a diner. Billy Crystal said, why don't you get your mother, who was cameoing that day, to say this line? I'll have what she's Mm. having. So the whole moment was something that, you know, you've obviously got your writer and your director that are there on set and they're able to like fashion that and and play with it. But it wasn't in the actual script as they set Mm. off to make that movie. So... You know, you're fudging it, and we know ourselves that you're still writing the movie as you're shooting it. But I think that's a great Have you ever been... I've been to that cat's diner. Yes, I've been there too. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got a sign. They have a sign over the spot where she's... But it is a class. It's like you go in... Is the seat wet? 
No, the seat's not. No, but they, they obviously, you know, I, well, when I sat on it, Kevin, it, well, it was dry. But after I left, it was wet because, you know, I'm incontinence. That's disgusting. Yeah. That, that pastrami sandwich is excellent. It excellent. really is. But, um, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> But I'm just I'm thinking of the you know the the waxing scene in and the forty year old virgin. Oh yeah, you're right. Isn't that one? Because like basically Kelly all they, they just went for it, and <laughs> it's it's insane when you see Steve Carell. Like he's literally you know he's he's topless and he might as well be wearing a jumper. Yeah. To be honest with you, the man is <laughs> you know the missing link. You know it's you unreal. Um, uh, and so obviously they just went for it, and like all the reactions that you see is him just crying out in pain um yeah. it would it would def- definitely turn you into a, a an anti-waxer <laughs> <laughs> good i love that one play pierce <laughs> if you ever see the sort of the um the the behind the scenes of like the anchorman movies where you've got all those guys together and they are just improvising line after line after line paul Rudd especially is incredible at it mm. they've done studies you know 60 percent of the time it works every time that doesn't make sense Bill Murray. You're talking about Bill Murray. He's um, in Caddyshack. All his stuff in Caddyshack is completely improvised. He did, he did, none of that was scripted. So everything he did in that. And also, I think in... Go on. You're going to say it, I bet you. Scrooged. No. Okay. What were you say, gonna it. say? <laughs> say Oh, it. Ghostbusters. <laughs> no. Ghostbusters. Go on. It's uh, Groundhog Day when he goes up to Ned Rarison and he hugs him. Oh, yeah. Bill? Phil Connors, I thought it was you. Ned Ryerson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have missed you so much. I don't know where you're headed, but can you call in sick? Uh, <laughs> I got to get going. Uh, <laughs> that was all improvised, and uh, the actor whose name I can't remember. It's Stephen Tobolowsky, yeah. isn't it? Stephen Tobolowsky uh-huh. didn't know that um, Bill Murray was going to do that. So that's a, a, a mm. another one. Bill Murray is probably mm. like improvising all over the it, place. Do you know what? You, you also you, you have movies that that seem improvised, but actually are so like really heavily scripted. Every single word, and people like for years will kind of think that they were improvised. Like, for example, I'm thinking of like Elaine May's uh, Mikey and Nicky. Okay, I've never seen that. Peter Falk is Mikey. I got a terrific suggestion for you, Nick. I suggest you find somebody you can trust. John Cassavetes is Nikki. They're gonna kill me, Nick. They're gonna kill me. Mikey and Nikki. On a night like this, there are no rules. It's kind of two best mates, and there's they're involved in in criminal activity, and one of them is in trouble, and possibly isn't going to last the night. Okay. And the other guy is basically, you don't know whether or not he's trying to get him out of the trouble or whether or not he you know ultimately we'll have to sell his friend kind of down the line really um and it's it's a two-hander really for for most of the part which oh it's so good um you know peter falk john cassavetes and again like you know they're best friends in real life so they have that kind of bond already and it's there on the screen and they just bounce off each other in a way that you're kind of going that's so hard to write. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, surely this must have been just like endless, endless kind of long, uh, you know, scenes of just do it again, let the camera roll and just improvise. But apparently, apparently not. Apparently it was really heavily scripted. Um, but, it's sort of par for the course, though, with the uh, John Cassavetes films where they do feel almost like they are just, uh, it's very naturalistic and the interplay yeah. in the scenes feels like you wouldn't have... But this is Elaine May. This is Elaine May directed yeah. and wrote and directed it. Yeah. So it feels like, it feels like, a, you know, a Casavetti's thing, but actually it's, you know, it's Elaine May and her amazing writing. So it would have been... You know, she's such an incredible writer. If she was it involved. was, and there was all kinds of problems. Like she shot a huge amount, like over a million feet of film or something like this. Wow. Um, And it was, uh, I don't think, we, we've never seen actually her cut of it. The cut that's available is one that I think Paramount put together or something. Um, she got so fucked but, in her career. Yes. Yeah, she did. It's a huge shame. But she's making a movie now. No way. She's, How she old is, is she? she yeah, I think well, maybe it was 80s. just for COVID kind of came in, but yeah, she's like come back and she's making like, you know, her first movie since Ishtar, I suppose. Wow. When I saw Ishtar, yeah. I... The legend was that this was one of the worst movies ever made. Three, two, three, four, four, two, three, and... 
These men are pawns. I put a price of 20,000 dirham on their heads. Next, they will be hailed as the true messenger of God. They were just a couple of songwriters who came to Ishtar to break into show business. I thought it was a fun romp of a film, really well shot and had great sort of playful scenes between Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty and it just sort of romped along and I thought yeah. why has this been slandered as much as it was? It seems yeah. uh, bizarre to me. I can't believe these men may control the fate of the Middle East. The fact that it was a career ender really for her yeah. really, you know is just uh, Disgraceful, because people have made much, much worse movies and continued to make more movies afterwards. you got to just didn't. imagine who was at the studios at the time. Unbelievable. But she made, she made like stone-cold classics, stone-cold classics. <laughs> this is some of our best work. Mikey and Nikki, um, A New Leaf, which is mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant, like yeah. herself and Walter Matthau. Yeah. Can I just add that's a wonderful breakdown of A New Leaf by Elena Douglas on YouTube for trailers from hell. Yes. She explains how Elaine May's film was recut by the studio and how unhappy she was with it. Yet it's still a great film. <laughs> there we go. I'll good. put a link in the show notes. But yeah, Thank and you, The Heartbreak Papa. Kid, which is so good as well. Um, And really hard to find. You can't, it's like owned by some... I don't know, some conglomerate, and it's not available on any DVD or Blu-ray anywhere. The, uh, the Heartbreak Kid? The Heartbreak Kid, yeah, the original. Wow. Yeah. You, they showed it in the IFI several, a couple of years ago as part of like an LMA retrospective, and the only print they could get of it, I think I might say, had its Swedish subtitles. Wow. <laughs> and they were literally, this is the only copy that we can find Jesus. of this movie. It's insane. And, and, and it's absolutely brilliant. I caught that in TV. Like Charles Grodin. In it. So good. I think they showed it uh, on TV when um, when the remake was being was released in cinemas. The really, really inferior and uh, not very good uh, remake. The Ben Stiller one. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, but improvise, improvise mm. moments. Well, what would we say? You know, oh. unscripted scene. Oof. I think uh, when Harry met Sally. Oh, yeah. oh, I've got another moment that's not scripted. Uh, and I know it's not a fan- film that we're not a fan of, really, you, me, Kevin, anyway, is in The Usual Suspects, the lineup scene. You know, the, when they actually try and line up the five yes. guys okay. and they're, they're supposed to, they're just not cooperating and not reading from the script. And they're Didn't laughing. They need to tell Toro fart or something. Some, yeah, he was farting away, apparently. Yeah. And Christopher McQuarrie is actually the voice of one of the, um, of the, the police officer on the other side trying to get him to read the line. And he says, could you speak English? And Benicio Tildor is like, like, what the fuck? He's just babbling and everyone's just pissing themselves. That's a good one. That's a good one. How many keys, you cocksucker? In English, please. Excuse me. In English. How many fucking keys, you cocksucker? What the fuck? <laughs> Number four, step forward. It was bullshit. That poster, I remember people used to talk about how cool that poster looked. But uh, didn't A Fish Called Wanda have the exact same style poster? A Fish a few Called years before. Wanda. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's got them yeah, all in the lineup. Right. So, that's right. You know. Credit words, Drew. Can I throw in? Can I throw in a, a, a doc? I know we weren't going to throw in a documentary. Not one to one. Stop <laughs> it, Kevin. <laughs> Go ahead. But just there's a, there's one documentary that I keep banging on about to people to to go and watch, and it has one of just one of the most incredible scenes that look Arthur Miller would give his kidney to have written. Do you know? Um, and it's a documentary called Streetwise. I haven't seen nobody get killed. He got the shit kicked out of him because he pulled a big old steak knife out on him. You missed that one, dear, but that was just this morning. I never miss my mom and dad. They're part of my past now. Just a phase she's going through right now. There's nothing for me in this world for strangers. Your help, Fortune. Someone else's idea. I've had 
Quite a bit. So Streetwise, it, it's uh, it's an American documentary from about 1984. It's about um, homeless kids uh, on the street in yeah. Seattle. That hurts, huh? Yeah. I just said, Mom, I gotta go, and I hung up on her. Yeah. But it's absolutely harrowing uh, documentary directed by Martin Bell. It's I wonder whether it inspired my own private Idaho. Oh, maybe. It feels like it's um, the, the more uh, scripted version of that. I mean, these kids... They form a kind of community on the street, really, amongst themselves. They kind of get love there and friendship, which they don't get at home. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're having to survive on the streets. And again, it's really tough watching. You, you know, you get to know these kids and then you see them being picked up by these creeps in their cars. And, you know, they're having to get into prostitution and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very tough. But there's an amazing scene. And it was loads of amazing seasons in it. But the scene that's coming into my head, um, there's a kid called Dwayne. And he goes and visits his father in prison. And his father's been in prison for like 30-odd years or something like that. And he's due to be released like fairly soon. And there's a conversation just between them both, which is, um, like I said, if you, if you wrote it, you'd win, win an, all the prizes around the place. Um, the father is kind of, he's looking, you know, they've got the glass in between them. And at one stage, he kind of goes, you know, kid, he says, you've got my intelligence. You've got my brain, he says. But you're like me, he says, you're a con man, Dwayne. Uh, but, you know, you're all I got, and unfortunately, I'm all you've got. You're a smart kid. You're a good-looking kid. You've got intelligence. You've got my brain. <laughs> but you're like me. You're a con man, Dwayne. What, do you want to be a little punk on the street? Huh? Hey, you want to be a little punk, a little smart-ass little punk. That's all you think you are. You're going to wind up just like I am. And, and you're like, yeah. and the scene plays out, and there's love in the scene, and there's also he's like checking to see, you know, if the kid has has been using, and so he wants to see his arms. No, I haven't been doing none of that. Here, I'll even show you here. See, hold on. See, nothing. So there's these moments of tenderness, moments of kind of just real harsh reality. You know, he's telling him that you know they're going to set up. He's going to come out, and he's got a great plan. They're going to set up some thrift stores, and you know. He's just got a, you know, he's got a plan ready for them. And you and, you know, him and the kid are, they're going to be okay. Um, and then, unfortunately, there, there's a, an arc. Something happens to Dwayne in the movie um, that wow. you have to, again, see. And it's just, um, it's it, it's a scene that's stuck with me ever since I've seen it. As just like, if you, wow. you just couldn't, you couldn't write yeah. it. Look at me when I talk at you. Look at me. Pay attention to me. That's the dang trouble. You haven't paid any attention to me. There's a guy in our tank, 24 years old. They just gave him four life sentences. 24 years old. It won't be too damn many more years to be doing that to you. I'm, I'm serious. I love you very, very much, even though I get mad at you and want to kill you. I love you. You're, you're all I've got. And unfortunately, I have all you've got. But yeah, you can also find it on on YouTube or whatever. There's this big long review that Siskel and Niebuhr gave, and they're really like saying it was one of the best films of the year that year. But they yeah. have loads of clips from it, and one of the clips is from wow. that that scene. And uh, I really, I really kind of recommend it. My wishes would be to um, have a small family. You've got a chance to make it a good way. That was happy. So who cares? I don't really care. Whatever happens, happens. We're talking about unscripted scenes. Sure, everything Christopher Guest did was just unscripted. That were all those moments. All they had were characters, and they didn't. Even, they never shot rehearsals. Everything was improvised. <laughs> so what came out on camera was what they caught, and everything in those films are unscripted. Well, we both have so much in common. We both love soup. But there's also another one that we kind an iconic one we can't forget or we shouldn't overlook from an animated movie, a Disney animated movie, and it's in Aladdin. All Robin Williams stuff. Well, most of Robin Williams stuff is improvised. So, they, so much so that it kind of was like the tempo. Like, you, know, you know, when he's going on these riffs of all these different characters and he's doing Jack Nicholson and he's doing... Excuse me? Are you looking at me? Did you rub my lamp? Did you wake me up? Did you bring me here? And all of a sudden you're walking out on me? I don't think so. Not right now. You're getting your wishes, so... That's all improvised. And wasn't that the whole thing? Like, he got screwed over yeah. by Disney. Yeah. Then. Because they basically realized, oh my god, this is so good, 
But his part of his agreement was that they weren't going to use it for any of the publicity yeah. for the movie, which seems strange. Robin McDonnell adding for SAG minimum on one condition, but once Aladdin was a hit Disney reneged on their deal with him. He said at the time of signing on for the film, I don't want to sell stuff. It's the one thing I don't do. I'm doing this basically because I want to be part of this animation tradition. I want something for my children. But my one condition for doing so, I just don't want to sell anything. As in Burger King. As in toys. As in stuff. But they did it anyway. Thanks, Potboy. But that, that was the deal he wanted and thought he had. And then, of course, it just every single ad for the movie is just him doing all his crazy impressions. All right, you bad boy. But no more freebies. Fair deal? Okay, so consensus, no consensus. I think we've mentioned some really good unscripted scenes there. I reckon we can move on to the next one. Yeah, what is the next one? The next one was uh, suggested by Niall Murphy from Scanon. And he said, Jump the shark. A best jump the shark scene. Right. Or in movie lexicon, nuking the fridge means it's a moment when a franchise has taken a turn, a decision has been made. Something happens which basically undermines all the goodwill that you have for that franchise. And uh, Jump the Shark comes from Happy Days with the Fonz, where he literally jumps over a shark. As a, a skit in that sitcom. And that's when people thought that the show had morphed far beyond what it was originally. So, moments in movies that jump the shark or nuke the fridge. I mean, nuke the fridge was obviously taken from Indiana Jones 4, where the opening of that film, Harrison Ford gets into a lead-lined fridge and gets blown away by a nuclear blast and survives it. Something I don't mind. It's like, oh, of that film. That's, in that film, that's one of the things I was like going, yeah, that doesn't bother me so much. You know, it's no more ridiculous than them jumping out of a plane and on a, a rubber dinghy and yeah. falling down a mountain. I went to a midnight screening of that with my dad, and we didn't talk to each other afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Have you since? Everybody was trying to convince themselves that the film. Was, I want to yeah, put a. Qual- I want to qualify this, to Kevin. So you're saying so. So what we're trying to uh, figure out is um uh, is it our best our best jump to shark moment as in uh, 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 like is it our worst as in the most egregious it's a contradiction one? yeah it's a contradiction but i don't know the best bad moment in a franchise okay I mean, the okay one that comes so, to mind, yeah, one. the one that comes to mind for me See, there's, there's lots of tv stuff that like obviously i can yeah because they just keep movies, running and running movies you're basically like it's you were invested invested in the franchise yeah. and then you're you're not so I mean like the Matrix I mean like the obviously yeah, two that's sequels that's what I was just there. about to say the Matrix oh, was it? <laughs> yeah the cave rave scene oh that was where I just thought like oh no no thank you what's going one on one for me yeah. was yeah. very definitely uh, the first one that happened for me was Highlander 2 The Quickening because I've never seen it oh dude oh if you haven't seen it you should see it because I was oh, all really? of this I was a child of the Highlander Right, it was that was one of my go-to videos that I studied the moves from, and I kind of maybe believed, and I, I have so much so that I tried to put no, well, you know, a little um, here, what's what's the a sword pins in my neck, you know, if you've seen Highlander, you know what uh, your safety pins around my neck, if you've seen it, you know what I mean. Um, but then Highlander Two: The Quickening came out in 1990 or 1991, I believe, and you know the the simple conceit of Highlander is that it's a bunch of immortals fighting each other across eternity and beheading each other until there's only one, like there can be only one, and the last one gets all the powers, whatever that is. And so the first film kind of answered that question, and the second film came along and said, "We need to change this." And from the get go, they said the Highlanders are from an alien planet, and the whole thing just went crazy and the moment i'm thinking of is there's a moment in the second film where sean connery returns and he shouldn't have returned and he does magic and the characters don't have magic in the first film and it's absolutely nuts it's just total jump to shark that whole film is jump to shark and there's a great making of like you know behind the scenes making of how that film went to pot but for me that's the film that really is jumped to shark. Highlander 2, The Quickening, is crazy. <laughs> I saw the first Highlander only a couple of years ago. I thought it was baffling. I remember sitting there watching a sequence of a fight that took place in the car park. Yeah, it's class. And the villain left the car park by doing backflips. Yeah. 
oh, he cool. just backflipped all the way out of the car park. I love it. And the camera just lingered on him as he was like, going, what the, 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 what the fuck is this? Just walk away. It was so strange. It was, that film, that first film has some of the most amazing transitions. Truly beautiful panning, uh, panning. Like, watch that film for like some of the the technical filmmaking in it, and it is amazing. And I love the soundtrack, but the second one, lads, oh, the second one, oh my god! <laughs> I w- I hyped up my buddies in school. I was in national school, and I convinced uh, th- two of my friends to go see it with me. And neither of them having seen Highlander, saying Highlander's one of the best films that's ever made. They're doing it too. It's going to be twice the best film ever made. And we all, I don't think they spoke to me after we came out of that film. I think there was just dead silence. It was just the three of us in the <laughs> cinema, all under 12 in an 18s or 15s movie. But um, so that's my. There's got to be some others. Jump to shark. I mean, there's got to be some. I mean, like, you know, you've, you've got to jump the crocodile scene in Live and Let Die, obviously. Oh, yeah. I think it's almost impossible to jump the shark, though, in the Bond franchise because they tend to do it every couple of films yeah. and it just keeps going. Yes, there was the invisible car, wasn't there? Yeah, that, that was kind of in about. The World's Not Enough, yeah. Dino yeah, the Day, that and, was. Uh, oh, there sorry, was a, yeah, Dino the Day. Also, there was the, the surfboarding kind of. Dino uh, the Day, that was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Dino the Day is a whole lot, yeah. Yeah, the windsurfing on the tsunami. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan, he got absolutely, you know, done raw on those films because he was such a good bond. He got one great film. Yeah. He got one great yeah, film. He really did get one great film. But yeah, Dino the Day, I think in the Bond franchise, Dino the Day is the most egregious one. It really is awful. You must be joking. As I learned from my predecessor, Bond, I never joke about my work. I, uh, I, I like, again, I, I have to throw a, a, like a, a TV one, mm-hmm. if I'm allowed. Oh, go on, then. Hello, and welcome to the Extra Best Bits, a film and TV podcast where each week we talk about whatever we like, because our guests want to, and we do too. Okay. <laughs> um, but Heroes, okay. season two. Episode one. What happened there? Um, Heroes. Right. Well, here's the thing now. Uh, like, did you watch Heroes? I watched the first no. season. I actually never watched it after that. Yeah, it the first great. season. We all we all watched the first season. The first yeah. season was great, fantastic. Yeah, with the cheerleader who couldn't be hurt. All that, all that stuff. Yes, and you're like, you know, had big concept, big effects. Um, and this is before like Iron Man and that kind of stuff. Obviously, you had the X Men movies that come out. But um, it was like, wow, this is fantastic. And then, you know, really hyped up for the second season. And then the first episode, I think the first scene in the first episode, mm-hmm. it begins uh, in Cork in Ireland. Oh, I've seen it. And you're like, and you're <laughs> yeah. like oh, I you're do like, remember that. Right. Okay, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is interesting. We're getting a bit of hometown kind of yeah. uh, action here, whatever. Yeah. And it's uh, one of the main characters, Peter Petrelli. He's 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 locked up in some kind of container down in Cork Harbour. Yeah, that's right. And these thieves break into the container. Yeah. Hey, I figure I keep the case to myself. What are you going to do if it does an iPod? You can barely use a computer. Yeah, what do you know? There's two particular lines that have always stayed in my head, okay? So basically, these thieves look in, and it's just him kind of chained in this container. And one of the thieves, and there's a whole load of accents going on. What's that? I mean, yeah. they're trying Ireland, but it's Ireland by way of Cockney. Maybe this will jog your memory. By way of I Dick Van Dyke. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but one of them says, and I, you know, I want to do the accent. You'll play the line. He goes, Where are the iPads? And the next guy goes, You heard your man. How did you get in here? You heard your man. How did you okay. get in here? You heard your man. How did you get in here? Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. like, it's like they're working off two different scripts. What the hell was that? Who the hell are you? <laughs> It, the Irish accent is so hard to do. So, you know, they started off with this, yeah. like, huge concept, mega concept series. And then suddenly it starts oh, off God. with, like, iPod thievery in Cork, basically, is how they're starting off their first scene in their, you know, new season. Um, and it going, goes downhill from there. Um, he, basically, this character, he, um, he can't remember that he has superpowers. And as a writer, I get, I was really annoyed watching this. Because I was like, clearly yeah. there isn't an Irish writer in that writer's room. Because it, there's, it's an open goal of a story. Because you have a character here who basically, he's the only person in, in, in Cork who doesn't think he's God's gift. <laughs> Do you realise what podcast you're so, on? Did they just didn't lean into it? If they'd leaned into that, but hang up. I will not. That could have run and run. That could have run and run. At least he's got Nick. He's fair play, Jim. <laughs> Coming on Come this on. podcast. <laughs> 
God, she's... but you know, I just remembered one, another one, Annie. and this is this is now I am. Um, it's definitely a jump to shark moment. And I think it might have, the shark might have been jumped several times before this particular scene, but it's one I love and it makes me grin from ear to ear. And it's from Rocky Four, and it's after Rocky beats Ivan Drago in the heart of Red Moscow. I came here tonight and I didn't know what to expect. And he gets on the mic and he's got Gorbachev watching the audience and he's got all the communists. During this fight, I've seen a lot of changing. So what I was trying to say is that if I can change, and you can change, everybody can change. And they all start giving him a round of applause. And Gorbachev, like, is watching all his comrades standing up and giving, you know, just turning to capitalism. Oh, my God, that is such a jump-the-shark moment. I thought you were going to mention the robot. What did you say? No, 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 that's that's an easy open goal. Rocky, he converts communism to capitalism. No, come on, come on. Doesn't he, he, he punches the shit out of Hulk Hogan in three... You know, he gets, he gets the shit kicked out of him by Thunderless. Thunderless beats his ass and throws oh him over the ring. Yeah. So now. Yeah. Oh, who cares? That <laughs> series jumped the shark after that beach scene where they're running well, here, along here. And, and hugging each other and kissing I and rolling around in the surf. In tank tops. Oiled up. That <laughs> <laughs> was amazing. I do, I do think they pulled it back, though, because uh, Jumping the Shark in 4, which is a great Rocky film, fun Rocky film, they managed to make some cracking sequels with the actual Rocky Balboa one where he came back mm. as an OAP mm-hmm. boxer and Creed I thought was fantastic. So can you really jump the shark and then pull it back? I think that's one of the few franchises. Well, here, here's one I'll throw it like Twin Peaks, obviously. Ooh. As in so, season two? As in season two, it, you know, ABC basically go, you know, we really need to solve this mystery of uh, who killed Laura, Laura Palmer and David Lynch goes, you know, this should be like, you know, the golden goose, basically, this mystery. You should never solve it. You just like keep mm-hmm. kind of go- going on and on. And they're like, no, 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 we need to solve. So it solves by, what was it, episode seven in season two. They solve who, like, who killed Laura Palmer. And then, you know, again, you've got it's a like bunch of writers and directors who are, who are not David Lynch and who are not Mark Frost basically going... Sugar, you know, we've got another 14 episodes here. What do we fill it with? I t- well, does anybody want to try, you know, let's have a beauty pageant in Twin Peaks. Hooray! It just, it's, yeah, really, it's a weird show. I mean, David Lynch comes back and he directs the finale, which does pull it back a little bit um, of, of the season two. But you would never, you would have thought that would be it. It's amazing then season three is such uh, an extraordinary I piece of I thought work. it was incredible, um, but I know a lot of people that really mm-hmm. didn't like the third uh, season, the Twin Peaks of Return, because it was so um, offbeat and drawn out. And But, you know, I thought it, every episode was just appointment TV. I only started yeah. watching Twin Peaks for the first time in the last couple of years. No, you're in for you're in for a, a journey. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like freaked out. How, how are you still on season one? There's like what, oh, eight big, episodes. Are you watching it in like three big, minute well, segments, just, like every life week? happens? Life happens. Doing a podcast do. is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I know this was years ago as well. So um, no, I started watching Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's what kind of happened. Will you help me? If you make love to me. Fine, let's do it. The shower in Dallas, of course. You know, there's your other. Pierce, the this is the best. This is movie podcast. Movie. This is movie. Sorry. Pierce. I'm sorry, but you know, <laughs> fuck TV. It's all one big movie, uh, right? It's all uh, one big movie. <laughs> I'm going to steer us back into movies, right? Right. And I'm thinking about franchises. It's all about okay. franchises and films that started off. Uh, a franchise that started off with two cracking films. What is third film? Uh oh. And I'm thinking of Spider-Man Three. <laughs> Dr. Connors here. Oh, Dr. Connors. How are you? Quite a specimen you left me, Parker. Its chemistry is not unlike the chondritic meteorites of the 70s. Thanks, Pete. That's good. You know what, Parker? Parker? Come smell. It amplifies characteristics of its host. Mm. Hey, give me another cookie. Especially aggression. 
and the scene in that where I knew things had really gone off the rails is when Tobey Maguire is wearing his black hair suit, flicks. the hair flicks, and he's gone all, what's the word, emo, and uh, he slides into the bar. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's awful, and it was awful at the time, but now it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of wonderful. It's a meme, you, though. It's a meme. You kind of go, wow, they went, they went there. I saw that in the cinema, and it's one of two films where I could feel the audience getting heated and so angry at Tobey Maguire where he was just pissing off <laughs> the audience that were there where he would strut down and flick his hair and the audience were like going, ugh. Yeah. And it was hilarious to see such a jazzed up audience just turn on the film as it was going along where people hated that film by the end. Yeah. Well, oh, ba- yeah. And also Ooh. Batman and Robin as well. That Ooh. was... I saw that oh, in the cinema. Yeah, on a bat suit. I just can't even think of a specific moment uh, in that film where you kind of. I go, never oh. saw Batman and Robin because I didn't like Batman Forever. Oh, oh, Batman Forever is like is uh, like Arson, uh, Arson, Citizen Kane compared to Batman and Robin. Oh my <laughs> lord! It is. I I would watch Batman Forever because I think Batman Forever is actually there's something there's something there's a quality They're they too kind obnoxious for me. Has anybody ever told you you have a serious impulse control problem? Yeah, but then Batman and Robin is just, yeah, avoid it. Um, Kevin, did you have a suggestion for this particular Jump to Shark? Yeah. What did I, you say? The Matrix Reloaded, the oh, Cave yeah. Raven in yeah. uh, that film. You know, that was where I thought, what is going on? Everybody dancing like a, a Britney Spears music video. Mm. And uh, yeah, that was such a sharp decline from the first film, which is still, I think, a perfect film. Yeah. Are we going to try and draw a consensus? So I had Highlander 2, which maybe you haven't seen. Podbot, what do you oh, think? Podbot. I agree with Pierce. It's Bobby Ewing getting out of the shower in season nine of Dallas. Yes. I agree. Yes. Yeah, I agree, Thanks, Podbot. Podbot. Yeah, that's that's so cool. <laughs> you trying to twist it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I suppose, for the last one, we'll do three. Yeah. And I think for the last one, for a scene that really wouldn't take up a whole episode, but right. is Probably a fun one to talk about. Best cameo scene. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, well, the first one is it. So, cameo is just like, is, is it a, a, a part that has dialogue or basically a walk by? Webster's yeah. Dictionary defines cameo as. <laughs> it helps. Uh, no, it's just sort of like a, a scene where somebody who's not in the movie pops up and is a scene stealer. And okay. they're usually uh, a celebrity of some stature. Uh, so, you know, Donald Trump in Home Alone 2. That's not my pick, by the way. <laughs> okay. But that would be... <laughs> right. That would be a cameo moment. Right. But uh, I have my pick because I knew this one was coming. So, you know, I got to, uh, I got to uh, preempt you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, both of your asses are hanging out because you don't know what to say. <laughs> Go on. Oh, hey, yeah, I want to hear your pick. I want to hear your pick. Uh, uh, <laughs> Well, Matt Damon is sort of like the the king of cameos because he pops up in so many movies as an uncredited famous face. Oh, yeah. So you know, if you're if you're searching around for one, think of Matt Damon uh, pop up moments. But the one that I'm going to go with is Channing Tatum in This Is the End, where Ooh, the gimp nice. mask gets revealed and Channing Tatum is on all fours and he's <laughs> he's basically been made into a sex slave. Danny, what the fuck? You guys are still alive? Yeah. Holy shit, I didn't expect that. Fuck out of here. See that? I fucking Hardcore, man. I got him trained good. Watch, he does tricks. Wait, shake hands. That to me. It's hilarious. The whole film is hilarious. The one that comes to my mind straight away is, again, because he was already in my mind earlier on, is Bill Murray in Zombieland. I don't mean to gush. This is so surreal. I mean, you probably get this all the time. Maybe not lately, but I'm, I'm such a huge fan of yours. I mean, I swear, you know, I've seen every one of your movies a million times. And I, I even love your dramatic roles and just everything. 
Six people left in the world. One of them is Bill fucking Murray. I know that's not your middle name. I've been watching you since I was like, since I could masturbate. I mean, not that they're connected. Now, former Queen Chibu about to become a master's champion. <laughs> well, that's why we do it. I love you, Bill. I love you. Thank you. They come across a zombified Bill Murray. And uh, it's that is Bill Murray in makeup, and it's Bill Murray, and everyone is like Bill Murray, and he's just put himself in makeup, and he's brilliant. He totally steals the steals that film, and he's fantastic. There's a fun one where Spielberg pops up in the Blues Brothers. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cameron Crowe in Minority Report. There's a lot of directors that pop up. Alfred Hitchcock, obviously, cameos in tons of his uh, films. Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. I think he's quite That's a good one. really good in that. This is the last horseman. Who is this? This is flaming. Okay, flaming dragon, fuck face. First, take a big step back and literally fuck your own face! One of the few times he's played a villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was really, really good in it. Oh, well, one I love, one I love is in From Home Alone, John Candy, who plays the polka king of the Midwest, and he gives uh, <laughs> a Catherine O'Hara a lift. No, but here in your, you got a little bit of a dilemma there. We got a crisis ourselves. <laughs> Allow me to introduce myself. Gus Polinski. How are you? Polka King of the Midwest. From wherever she is back home. And and they had him for one day. Paid him like a basic extra fee for one day. And was, it, was John Hughes or Chris Columbus directed that? I'm trying to remember. No, Chris Columbus. It was written by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. Was it? Yeah, they, they absolutely milked him. They milked him. So everything he also improvised, everything he did... On those uh, in those scenes were completely with Catherine Howard, a perfect Catherine person to improvise with. All shot in one day. All those scenes were shot in one day. Well, these are songs. Yeah, yeah, we some fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early seventies, you know. <laughs> yeah, we sold about six hundred and twenty-three copies of that. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it, you know. I'm sorry. Did you say you could help me? A- anyway, I'm Dan Ramblin. <laughs> Stanley and all the Marvel movies. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can give you some names here and you can see if anything uh, jumps at you. Bruce Springsteen, High Fidelity. George Harrison in Monty Python's Life of Brian. Madonna in Die Another Day, we just mentioned. Yeah. Keith Richards in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson in Men in Black 2 Michael Jackson um, really? Did you see that? Wow okay. yeah. Oh, wow. yeah I think in the first film he was suggested to be one of the aliens uh, on Earth on that big screen that they oh, look at Oh that's right the second one he was an one actual of your Men films, in Black Kevin uh, Scream cameo in that Wes Craven's in that and he's dressed as like Freddy, Freddy Krueger he's kind of like you know wearing the oh, yeah, Freddy Krueger hat the and, and jumper Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street the movie right. and here's one that Sorry. I uh, was shocked by Jeff Bezos in Star Trek Beyond what? <laughs> yeah, he's what? one of the fucking aliens. No way. What yeah, was it? He was passing by in his rocket, was oh he? Outside the window. <laughs> and he's playing <laughs> dildo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Glenn Close and Hulk. Glenn Close. Is she in Hulk? God, I didn't. No. <laughs> what? Hook. Oh, Hook. I thought you said a Hulk. <laughs> yeah, the she's hell? the abomination in Hulk. It was, uh, it was on mocap. Incredible performance. She hey, listen. Genuinely, this I, is. We're shooting from the hip here. We are shooting from the. Uh, okay. I can give you a couple from the same movie. Go on. Which okay. would be uh, Paul Simon in Annie Hall. Oh, his, yeah. okay. his little appearance. You know, he comes yeah. up and he's kind of like introducing himself at the bar and he's like, you know, yeah. we're just going to go and see Jack and Angelica now if you want to come with yeah. us. Um, which is kind of cool. And Jeff Goldblum is also, uh, he has a tiny little cameo in that movie at That's the party. Right. Which they go to, uh, like Paul Simon's party. And then at the very end, you've got you uh, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, her appears. first appearance in a movie. Yeah. No way. I yep. can't remember that. I Pretty remember Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Uh, wow. So it's just in the little montage at the end where basically he's describing meeting Annie again at a certain point in the future. You yeah. know, they, they haven't, you know, they're not still together, but they kind of meet as friends. And I think he introduces Sigourney Weaver as a date or whatever. But it's all, you know, the camera is far away from them on the other side of the street as it's happening. So. Wow. You also had uh, Brad Pitt in Deadpool 2 as the Invisible Man. Yeah, um, how about Brad Pitt in True Romance too as the oh, stoner? Yeah. I think that's really just wow. more like a performance, wasn't it? Where he's like the, it's the roommate. Kind of, well, he's, it's, it's like it's, it's a, a small enough role. 
It's one scene or two scenes, Max, yeah. I think, you know. Oh, that's good. I'm trying to think of anyone and else. And Daniel Craig in Star Star Wars The Force Awakens as yeah. one of the stormtroopers. Oh, yeah, the one that she uh, mind controls to get out of her shackles. Yeah. And that's David Bowie in Zoolander. You can actually hear there his voice. There you go. That's all the ones that I can... Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. In Pulp Fiction. During the yeah. watch, the gold yeah. watch speech. I suppose that is, yeah. yeah. That's like, like a featured moment. Yeah. Um, I made a cameo on standby. I have one line. Oh, yeah, I've seen that clip. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've got a cameo in my in my first film. I have it saved on my phone. <laughs> oh, my God. What's your, what's your cameo, Will? I did a cameo like- in my first feature, My Brothers, where I play um, uh, an arcade guy. I'm sorry, child. Do not, do not frighten your child. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Are you scared? All right, I'll sing to you. God is in his holy temple. You know, it was really awful as an intense and I'm not an actor. So anyway, but yeah, yeah I'm in there. I'm in there. I, I had one line of dialogue, which was, where's the toilet? And, and you work here? Yeah. That's grand, you know. Where's the toilets? There you go. I wrote, I wrote the script. Do you think I could have given myself a better line than that? Where's the shiver? Yeah. yeah. Where's the oh, bog? Dear. Where are the jacks? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying for a, I'm I'm dying Boston. For a slash. I'm Boston, man. <laughs> My back tees are floating. Yeah. I gave them like 20 different line performances <laughs> to choose from. You could have rewritten one line for yourself. Yeah, this is like a William Shatner version. It's like, where is the toilet? <laughs> I love it. Where is the toilet? The whole production went back a week because yeah. Pierce just wanted to get it right. <laughs> right, that's enough. Oh, okay. I think we did it, lads. Pierce is shaking his head. <laughs> he cannot believe this is I don't it. Believe it. Will doesn't believe. It's Will doesn't believe actually recording. We've been no, doing yeah. this for three I days. I still don't think I'm actually Jesus. online talking to you guys. I still think I'm just imagining your voices. <laughs> Listen, have some sympathy for me. I've got to edit this fucking thing. <laughs> oh, this will come together like, like, um, yeah. I don't actually know. Island water, <laughs> like broken glass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so, we don't really even know, have to spin the wheel for next week, because we know what the episode is. The episode for next week is actually what the episode for this week was meant to be. Right. <laughs> what is next so, week? next week, we'll be back for best one night in the big city scene. Oh. So it's like all those movies that take place over one night where things go chaotic and... There are dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And we have a special guest who promises us that he'll be back. Uh, or he'll be there for that episode. Hey, Pierce, are you available next week? <laughs> I just... You're, you're breaking up, lads. Can't hear you. Can't hear you there. Such so, Pierce, shame. you came through for us. You saved our ass. And where can people find you? Uh, where can they... They can find Pierce's writing on, on Twitter. That's the easiest thing to follow. And, Perfect. Uh, and follow my, follow my adventures. And you're also on the WhatsApp yeah. group chat. Uh, this, it's a so, secret one, Kevin. It's the secret WhatsApp the group secret chat. We all, <laughs> we I'm, I'm like, why are you telling people that? Why are no. you telling the audience? <laughs> and you know, he's also got a phone with uh, uh, and oh, the number eight, nine is and uh, <laughs> three four seven tomorrow apples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's where we all get together and we just talk about all the nasty producers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, Pierce, I just want to say a a, a huge thank you for coming in at the last minute and persevering through the the minor technical issues that we had, which isn't delays at all by very long. But um, you brought us many great insights and particularly the fact that you came in unprepared and you had to improvise this episode with us. So uh, we didn't at all throw you in at the deep end. He came unprepared. I think both of us came unprepared as well. Kevin, we've been coming in unprepared for a season and a half, Kevin. So this is... (laughs) (laughs) But you can follow us on Twitter as well at Best Bits Pod and we'll be back next week for best one night in the big city scene Way. looking forward to it cheers Pierce. take care Take it thanks easy, very lads. much the best bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin 
All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. Good job, man. You really nailed it. They had no idea. (laughs) I know. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. For the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't remember what? <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the Okay, right. I'm gonna find the fucking thing because it's gonna be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought they hadn't listened to it yet. And then yeah. of course I was delighted with that and people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it was it was it wasn't easy on the ears in a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice, so there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwood and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho yeah, That's exactly what you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem about the telly and the latest film. Talking shite to the dynamic duo. Don't forget now you owe three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I do, that doesn't necessarily mean or I need to be in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, <laughs> I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm raring to go. I saw Madam Webb. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster oh, very recently. It went, "There's a Madam Web film," and I'm, what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Of- well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like yes, there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue, to the hairstyles, to the costumes, to the sets, to the music, to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction. 
you no protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic. Okay. On the whole, it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it, was, it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went into Madame Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire. But Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I had to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Caddy was pushing back and... I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Catty here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I thought, <laughs> <laughs> but you know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I liked Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. Mm -hmm.